Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this course preview event at Signum University. We are going to be talking about the five exciting classes on offer at Signum University in the fall term, which begins next week, uh, Monday, 29th of August, and it runs for 12 weeks. But there is still time to sign up if you haven't done so already. My name is Gabriel Schenk, and I will be your host. Uh, and I am joined with a fantastic panel of teachers. We've got representatives from all of the five courses on offer. Uh, if you're not sure what the term offerings is all about, uh, the main thing that this is for is the Masters in Language and Literature, but you don't need to do the whole Masters to take one of these courses. You can sign up as an auditor, which is cheaper. Um, you can still take play, part in the discussions, access all the lectures, attend live lectures if your course has live lectures, or access the pre-recorded uh, lecture archives for older courses that are running again, uh, and have fun and learn with everyone else. But if you want to take this course for credit, you can do so through the master's degree or the diploma degree. And that means you have to do assignments as well, but it also means you get to uh, have feedback and work on your craft with your teachers. So um, they're both excellent options. Uh, to find out more, please visit our website, signumuniversity.org, which has been recently redesigned. So you'll see that the MA and the diploma are now under a degree programs list in the menu. And auditing is in the non-degree programs list because it's a separate thing, but you are auditing courses that are in the MA. Uh, so I hope that's clear. If you've got any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with us uh, through our contact form. But let's crack on and talk about these amazing courses. Uh, we have five on offer this term. Usually we only have four, so we're really spoiling you with an embarrassment of riches. And we have two live new courses, plus a live language course, plus two literature courses that are being repeated and will have live discussion sessions, but the lectures themselves are pre-recorded from when the course first ran. Let's start with one of our new, brand new courses, Dark Academia lectured by the wonderful Dr. Amy H. Sturgis. Amy, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm very excited about this course too. Looking forward to talking about it. Excellent. And I love your background. It's very dark academic. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, I mean, before we go any further, can you just tell us what is dark academia? A very good question. It's a term that's only been around for about a decade, actually, although if we look at the features of dark academia, we can see that it's been around for quite some time. Uh, but dark academia is a subgenre that actually plays very nicely with a lot of other genres. So you see works of fantasy, of science fiction, of mystery, all uh, connected to dark academia. But dark academia works really cover a wide variety of works that are related to academia. So they include students, faculty members, campuses, and other sorts of research spaces like libraries and laboratories, that sort of thing. And the quest for knowledge is connected to dark academia in some way. These are all gothic stories. That means they're rooted in setting. They're fascinated with secrets. They are connected to history, sometimes uh, places history, uh, uh, entire lands history, sometimes an institution's history, and sometimes it's the protagonist's personal history. There is a mood to dark academia. That's where you get the dark part of dark academia. And this is often connected to issues of mortality uh, also with the, the idea of, of death and what death means or desire for deathlessness and research or uh, discussions about how to avoid death. And uh, most importantly, dark academia works are engaged in a project of critique about power systems. So the fact that many of the protagonists uh, are coming from the outside, they are outsider point of views, uh, or points of view rather, seeing how systems work, everything from you know, bullying 
um, all the way to systemic issues of inequality. Uh, there are questions of how, as we learn, we also discover our world and the stories we tell ourselves to understand the way that the world works. There's also a little thread of true crime uh, connecting a lot of works of dark academia. Many of the works we're going to study and many of the words, works that are considered the foundational works of dark academia were inspired by disappearances, deaths, even murders. And I think dark academia reflects a way in which we have fictional storytelling that allows us to look at truths that are sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes ugly, and work through uh, what they mean and how they can be uh, faced head on. And uh, the ultimate goal of dark academia, I think, is to make, uh, make the world a better place by making uh, academia a better place. Uh, but there's a lot of steps to go through to get there. So uh, there's fascinating works uh, to study that take us on a journey, asking some really big questions, ultimately about what it means to be human and to be learning about what it means to be human. Well, that sounds absolutely amazing um, and so fascinating. I didn't realize that the term was quite recent. Has that term come out of like Instagram and stuff? Because I know that you know, it, it it's a sort of aesthetic as well, dark academia, isn't it? It's sort of like uh, corduroy trousers and that's basically how <laughs> I dress and dark stormy clouds and that sort of thing. Is that, is that kind of related? It is. And you're right. The the whole uh, book talk, uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram, mm. Tumblr, uh, these are the places that generated the term dark academia to begin with. And the aesthetic movement is sort of connected to the literature, whereas the aesthetic movement, in a sense, sort of uh, glorifies uh, aspects uh, of academia and particularly of nostalgic academia, then the literature sort of flips that on its head and finds things to critique. Uh, issues of exclusivity, for example, or uh, issues of power imbalances and that kind of thing. So they're connected. And there's some works that sit sort of on the axis between the, the aesthetics movement and the literary movement. And for example, Donna Tartt's uh, The Secret History is one of those. And so we're also going to be talking in class about the aesthetic movement and why, why now and why particularly since 2016 has the literature exploded, but also the aesthetic movement and everything from clothing to housewares and uh, decorating and photography and all those other things do. Wow, that sounds amazing. And, and you've, you've got, I see you've got films on the, the reading list. Um, so, you know, it's not just about text, although the majority of things are novels, right? Pretty much right. everything else. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're looking at fiction. We're looking at nonfiction as well. Ah. And then we're also looking at uh, film. And we're okay. really fortunate to uh, three of the authors of uh, works that we're going to be studying will also be appearing for uh, live Q&A sessions with the students. So Patero Gilling, the author of The Call, and Elizabeth Thomas, the author of Catherine House, and Rebecca Kwong, uh, the author of Babel, will all be appearing uh, with the students to do live Q&As. I mean, that is incredible um, to have those, you know, the actual authors being able to speak. And this is the great thing about doing something that is really up to the minute. You know, it's the last 10 years, um, Babel has only just come out uh, you know, literally like today, pretty much, it's still got that new book smell. It's hot off the press. <laughs> um, I'm glad you say Babel, by the way, because that's how I pronounce it. But um, Rebecca uh, F. Kwong gave the talking lecture in Oxford recently. Uh, and I, 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 I met her through that. And uh, she, uh, she, she pronounces it Babel and she says Babel's the British way. So now I'm not sure which one's right. But however you want to say it, I think it's probably okay. We we discussed that over email actually, and oh, really? I confessed to the fact that I was raised by Star Trek, and Star ah. Trek pronounced it Babel. <laughs> That's good to know. But she said that she is all for any pronunciation. And I think that's in the, actually in the spirit of the book. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, amazing to have those authors being able to speak, and and one of the advantages, as I say, of doing something that's recent, because unfortunately, you know, Gothic tradition. Unfortunately, we can't, you know, 
dig up um, Ed Callan and Poe to, to, to speak. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, and appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, fantastic. Um, we've got a question um, from Matagorn. Would C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength be considered dark academia? And if you're that familiar with that. Very interesting question. I have seen that discussed as dark academia. I think mm -hmm. one of the great uh, aspects of this flavor is that works can be many things and we can see veins of dark academia in multiple works. And from my own knowledge, I would absolutely say that is engaged in the same conversation. Yes, that Lewis is tapping into um, a larger tradition that we're gonna trace all the way back uh, to 1818. Um, oh, wow. that, uh, I definitely think, I, I would absolutely, that could be a strength, put it on the list. Excellent. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, I am reminded of your other, one of your other courses, The Gothic Tradition, which is coming back next term as a kind of repeat course. Um, and so you've already mentioned that there is some overlap and this is a kind of subgenre of Gothic. Is that accurate to say? Or I, That's definitely how okay. I would do it, yes. Um, and like with that, I mean, by the end of that course, I was sort of seeing so many connections and thinking like, you know, things that are like, 3000 year old texts, maybe they're gothic, you know, you can sort of like see those, those, those roots, those roots run deep. Um, so it's fantastic to, to hear that might be the case, but that is the case in the dark academia as well. Um, can you, can you say a bit more about this reading list? Because this is one of the big draws of this course, I think. Um, how much fun was it finding this reading list, um, narrowing it down? Um, what can you tell us about the choices you made? It's fun now that it's done, but it was excruciating. I had a much longer list. And I, I went into this mindful of the time that the students have and trying to make it uh, accessible. All of these works also, by the way, are available as eBooks and as audiobooks. And a couple of these are particularly good in audio form. Uh, but I had a wonderful time putting these together, thinking about the, the breadth and depth of the ideas we wanted to discuss. And so uh, getting to go back to Shirley Jackson was uh, oh. important to me. And Hangs a Man is a remarkable text that doesn't get nearly enough attention, uh, even, even now in a sort of Renaissance moment for Shirley Jackson studies. So I'm, I'm looking forward to starting with that as our beginning place. And uh, following that, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay brings up a lot of issues in terms of colonialism and place and the heritage of place and the foundations of institutions that carries through all the way to R.F. Kwan's novel. And so there are a lot of through lines here as well. Uh, and speaking of through lines, going back to Hangs a Man, Hangs a Man is connected to the same real life disappearance that also really informs Donna Tartt's The Secret History. So there's another through line in the class as well. But getting to choose works that uh, represent different voices and different critiques of the, uh, you know, different systemic issues that come out in academia and how academia serves as kind of um, a pressure cooker where a whole lot of worldwide, you know, global uh, issues get condensed into a kind of goldfish bowl where everyone feels that uh, you know, everything is watched and everything is so intense because you know you're there for a particularly short period of time, but it's going to be a transformative one. That's, that's been a lot of fun. So being able to draw from, from different authors and think about the institutions that are represented, um, including Legendborn uh, by Tracy Dion, a, a, a campus from a, um, a Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina. Uh, look at the connections between the authors and the institutions they're writing about. We also have a fantasy classic, winner of the Mythopoeic Society Award. Um, for uh, Elizabeth Hand's Waking the Moon, which is an amazing work of, uh, of fantasy that I'm looking forward to talking about as well. Um, also connected to a real life campus and, uh, and some pretty big issues. 
I could I could just go down the laundry list of works, but I'm particularly excited to to be able to talk about um, Babel so quickly. As you pointed out, this is its its week of publication, and uh, and see how these works across different decades are talking about the same thing and and uh, are bringing up the same questions over and over again, and in some cases, speaking back to earlier authors' answers uh, and inspiring new works in this new explosion now. Fantastic. And I, I think I hear your pain about having to narrow down the list. I think everyone who's designed a course at Sigma University has had that um, issue. And actually, for me, for the King Arthur course, uh, which I taught um, earlier this year, Legend Born by Tracy Dion was one of the ones I wanted to have in, but, you know, as much as it might not have seemed to the students, I was conscious of students' time <laughs> because they, they were, you know, there is a lot of reading in these courses uh, and that's English literature, it's it's work. Um, but, you know, we we, we do think about um, people's time and uh, we, we try to make it manageable. But Legendborn was just too much for that course. So I'm really, really pleased that it's in this course because um, it is it is Arthurian as well as dark academic. Um, so if you've done the King Arthur course, you'll see some things, some some crossover there. Uh, and um, that's another great thing about these courses is they do kind of overlap with each other. Um, so, yeah, very much. You know, I, I could talk to you all day about Dark Academia. Um, I think that was, that was such a fantastic overview. Uh, but um, we should move on to our other exciting courses. But thank you so much. Dr. Sergis for all of that. And um, please let us know if you got any more questions, um, please ask them in the chat. If you are joining us in the live Zoom session, if you're watching this later on on YouTube, then leave a comment down below and we'll try and get a response to you as quickly as possible. And do be aware that whenever you're watching this, unless you're watching this months in advance, there is probably still time to, to, to sign up. Uh, I think it's I think it's week two. I think you've got a couple of weeks from this point to register if you haven't done so already. Uh, and then you'll have to catch up with the reading, but it is possible. Uh, and it is possible to audit past classes as well. We have an extensive course catalog. So do check out all those options on our website. Um, but for now, let's move on to our second exciting course and another new course on offer this term, Foundations in Critical Reading and Research lectured by Dr. Faith Acker. Faith, what can you tell us about this course? I am so excited about this course, Gabriel. Um, I think this will be my third or second and a half uh, lecture course at Cigna because I did half of a course with Professor Daly, who's also offering that one this semester. Um, and this one is a real delight to me. You know, I love my other courses too. Uh, you should totally take Shakespeare. Um, as well uh, with Professor Daly, who is awesome. Um, but the thing that makes me so excited about this class is that this has been a collaborative endeavor but among a lot of the faculty for about three years now, uh, when we decided that our old foundations introductory course was no longer really meeting all of the needs of the students. And we set out in several faculty members to look at what we really needed to offer in a course and so while i am i like to think of myself as the glue that's holding this course together and if you find me obnoxious to listen to you should not take this course because i'm talking every week and giving at least one lecture every week uh, but i also have i think at the moment 14 guest lecturers rolling in at different times over the semester and four of them are here with me today uh, so it is a rich collaboration between a whole lot of Signum's really wonderful and really exceptional faculty who have just buoyed me and made me excited about all of these topics all along. And so one of the things that I thought when I was designing the course is it's so easy to give a lecture on something like 
you know, how to structure a paper. But the way that I structure a paper is probably not the same way that Professor Daly structures a paper and is probably not the same way that a linguist structures a paper and is probably not the same way that somebody in a different humanities discipline structures a paper. So a lot of those writing topics we're going to run as round tables and you'll get to hear from four different faculty members who will tell you what they suggest to their students and how they approach that in their own writing and we'll be talking really collaboratively about the different ways that you might want to think about approaching your writing and, and practicing your writing and your research over the course of the semester and so i'm i'm excited because i think there will probably be some technical glitches in the early weeks of the class as we sort all this out uh, but I think in the process, you're going to get something that is not just one person lecturing and telling you how you should write papers, because that's not really useful at the graduate level. Instead, you're going to get a lot of different perspectives and different approaches you can take and have opportunities to ask questions uh, and finesse some of your writing process. And the other thing I want to say about this class is I think it is Signum's best value for money class because I have fought and negotiated to have two hours of preceptor sessions every week, which currently none of the other literature classes have. So you're going to get some time to discuss the set readings and the secondary readings, but you'll also have time to work on your writing skills and to get feedback from your preceptor, whether you are a credit student or a discussion auditor, you'll get that extra, extra bonus. Uh, so two things that I think make this course should make this course very appealing to you. I'm super excited about it. And we're reading really fun books. Uh, my reading list is a lot shorter than Professor Sturgis's because we're going to be doing so much writing that I wanted to balance that out. But we're reading The Odyssey, we're reading Cinderella, we're reading The Princess Bride, we're reading some Gothic epics. Is that right, Nelson? Sorry, Professor Goering. <laughs> so, uh, we have this- Dramatic this, and, poems. Dramatic poems, sorry. Uh, and we've got some Star Trek in there and a film at the end. So it's sort of this whole bundle of different genres and forms and styles all smashed into one. And I just think it's going to be so fun and exciting. Yeah, I, I love I love that approach so much. Um, I mean, we should say that for students admitted starting this term, fall 2022, you have to take this course at some point. You don't have to take it this term, right? But you have to take it at some point during your master's program, which sounds, you know, like, oh, you, anything you have to do always sounds bad. But um, the reason we're doing that is because it is just so useful. Like we want, we need everyone to have a grounding in these kind of core ideas. Um, theory, theory can be, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, puts people off. And it's because it's been badly taught before. I think I think sometimes, you know, they're thinking back to high school or undergrad and it's just kind of read this theory and then we'll just, you know, treat it like philosophy. Whereas in literature, we want to apply it all the time. So this is what you're doing. You're reading theory alongside texts. And that's really exciting. And also having all those different persp perspectives. So it's not prescriptive. It's not saying you have to write a paper this way. It's here are the different approaches. Yes, and um, I, I will add to, to that that um, this course was really developed, again, collaboratively with a lot of the faculty, and we spent some faculty meetings talking about what skills our students were lacking. So this course is especially for students who are coming into Signum with degrees in other fields. If you have, we have a lot of students at Signum who have a bachelor's or even a master's or sometimes even a doctorate in a field that's humanities adjacent or even not humanities at all. And so this is really a let's get up to speed with English literature and linguistics and some of those other really humanities fields where you might have these skills in another field, but you might not be entirely sure what the conventions are uh, so if if you're a new student, I would encourage you to take this course as early as you can. It doesn't have to be this fall. It's going to come around, I think, almost every year. Uh, but if you can work it in early, it will probably give you a lot of skills and techniques that you can run into some of your other courses later on. Yeah, and a super, super helpful course for people who are auditing as well, because, you know, a lot of people, they love reading, but they don't necessarily know how to do a close reading or even what that mm -hmm. is. And this course will guide you through that. Um, but I think there'll be lots of things of interest to people of all different levels too. 
Um, so we've got a fantastic question from Jeff, which is which is a delightfully kind of um, uh, opening possibly a can of worms about translations. Why the Fagel's Odyssey translation, asks uh, Jeff, as opposed to the recent acclaimed version by Emily Wilson. Um, what was your thinking there with Fagel's? So a couple different reasons. Um, one of the reasons that I've picked the Fagel's uh, yes, so it, the same edition is used in Professor Swain's Myths and Legends. So if you are buying books for my course, you can use that one in particular in your other courses. Um, and cost was a really huge factor. So uh, Emily Wilson's edition is really new. And consequently, at the time when I was pricing books, it's very expensive. Also, consequently, because it was expensive at the time when I was pricing books, I wasn't able to afford a copy. Um, and I actually only acquired one this summer when I was in Oxford. And my excellent friend, Professor Gabriel Shank, actually gave me a copy. Uh, so the Emily Wilson is a wonderful edition. And if you can get it, um, you may find it really enriching to read it alongside the Fagels. They make some really different stylistic choices. For example, uh, I think per, uh, Emily Wilson always translates um the word as a word as servant sorry no sorry she always translated as a slave um, and other editions have historically translated it as servant which kind of neutralized some of the power dynamics in the odyssey so if you can get it i would strongly recommend reading both or reading multiples uh, but i find the fagels a really accessible student translation it keeps the poetry and the meter uh, in a in a really accessible way while still letting you read poetry. Some of the older translations have gone to prose uh, or even some more recent ones. And I think that loses a lot of the Odyssey, uh, but it's, it's not, I don't wanna say it's not hard poetry. It's not going to be the easiest thing you have read uh, for Signum, but it is, it is definitely more accessible if you are new to reading epics or new to reading poetry. And I think it's really beautiful. Uh, yes, and as Professor Swain is, is commenting, it is a lot cheaper um so <laughs> yeah. uh so you should be able to get the fagels for uh i think i think i priced the books for this course and i think at the time when i priced them if you bought all used editions you could get them for around 40 dollars. and it's really just the lewis and tolkien that is spiking this course really high um because <laughs> they always cost a lot because they're super popular so i really didn't want this course to be a financial burden on students here at signum um and so that was one of the reasons, lots of, lots of reasons. There are lots of great translations. And if you have access to a library that has a lot of translations, we are spending four weeks on the Odyssey. So if you don't want to go at our sort of meticulous plotting pace, um, you're welcome to get four translations and read a different translation every week. And you might, or even reading, you know, like maybe two translations over the four weeks. Um, there are a lot of different ways you could spread out your reading if you're excited about translations or even just consulting a book that you really like in another version. So don't let that limit you, but that's the one I'll be lecturing from and that's the one we'll be using for some of our assessments um, and our um, close readings and our class activities. And, and what I love about this discussion is that this is a great example of the kinds of things you'll be covering in this course, presumably. Um, you know, we're not just talking about translations as, well, you know, do, which one do you go for and that's it. But we're actually talking about differences and approaches and, um, you know, the differences in word choice and stuff like that. That's kind of close reading, I suppose. Um, so yeah, if, if you're interested in that kind of thing, you too are interested in theory. Uh, you might just not realize you're interested in theory because um, you've been put off in the past. Um, but I think this Can looks I add like one so more thing yeah, about please. theory, um, and please, that is please. that this is a really light theory course. So the course that this has sort of replaced hmm. within the Signum uh, syllabus was a very heavy theory course with a lot of long lectures on theory. We're going to touch on seven different, I think seven different literary theories over the course of this class, but they're going to be just little snippets to get you excited. If you find them exciting, you can go and read more and I've given you some secondary readings and I'm we are hopeful that we'll have another literary theory course that will delve into them if you are really into literary theory, but this is designed as just an introduction. Here's some things that are going on. Here are different ways you can look at a text but don't don't be anxious that if you're new to literary theory that I'm going to start speaking in high-fangled literary <laughs> prose uh, this is going to be uh. us exploring some <laughs> beginnings of theory together yeah. in a in a very learning and, and basic environment I love the title for week seven I'm a scholar not a theorist <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, no, this sounds fantastic. Best of all possible worlds, uh, really exciting and fun course and incredibly useful. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Acker. And, thank you, Gabriel. Oh, uh, sorry, look, Professor Shank. Well, 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 you can call me Gabriel. <laughs> uh, and I look forward to um, to joining that course in a small way as well with one of the roundtable discussions with everyone else. We were, we were describing this as the Avengers Assemble version of um, Signum courses. I, I, love I it. like to think of it as the Signum All-Stars. Yes. Uh, not that the ones who didn't, who aren't in it, some of them are, are not able to be in it because they're teaching other courses, for example. Uh, but it, but it is a lot of all stars. Brilliant, uh, absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Faith. Um, let's move on to another exciting topic: Shakespeare and the Middle Ages, uh, which was co-lectured by Faith Acker and Liam Daly. And Liam, uh, you are the preceptor for this course this term, so. Uh, what can you tell us about Shakespeare in the Middle Ages? Right. Well, thanks for having me here. Um, so, as you said, uh, Professor Acker, who we just heard from, and I designed this uh, course and taught this course. You'll the lectures are from both of us. Uh, I'll be doing the preceptor sessions while uh, Professor Acker is launching her new class this semester. Um, I mean, it's it's we will be primarily reading works by William Shakespeare that are about medieval history or medieval literature in some way or another. Um, the course is broken down by Shakespearean comedy and medieval literature, Shakespearean history play and medieval history, and Shakespearean tragedy and medieval legend. But as uh, the eagle-eyed among you will have already spotted, those discrete categories um broken down by the first editors of Shakespeare's plays after his death comedy history and tragedy they're relatively tidy but the categories of literature history and legend are very blurry and bleed into one another um I would say one of the things that it makes me most excited oh so and just on structural notes so we'll be reading most week weeks we'll be reading a Shakespeare play and a work of medieval literature or another early modern work about the Middle Ages and then probably um, some secondary criticism as well so it is it is pretty reading heavy um, but you know what isn't. Um, I think the thing that gets me that I'm most excited to 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 be teaching this. Um, there's a lot of classes at Signum that are about where we read medieval literature, right? Where we read the old texts, you know, Shakespeare, Anglo-Saxon, or not, not Chaucer, Anglo-Saxon, um, all of the Germanic literature that we read, um, the literature from the long, long ago. And then there's a lot of classes at Stignum where we read works of literary medievalism. Like that was the long, long ago. This is now. How how do we figure out what 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 were the Middle Ages? What do they mean? What what do they mean to us? Um, how are we different from back then? And this class, I really love teaching because it arguably does both. Right. So you've got Shakespeare, who is from our vantage point part of the long long ago right we're reading these 400 year old plus texts that are very rooted in a in a this the soil specifically of elizabethan and jacobean england and reflect the concerns of that time but then also uh right at the beginning of this very freshly post-medieval moment the term middle ages was uh, about a generation old at the time that Shakespeare was writing, and we have all of the, you know, within a generation or two, all of these huge social changes, the invention of the printing press, um, the shift from feudalism to modern bureaucratic government, the shift from Catholicism to Protestantism in England, and then back, and then back again. Um, so in all of these Shakespeare plays, we're reading something that feels very current to me, is that all of these plays have this feeling of um, we've just crossed some kind of threshold. The old rules that we've been following for however long uh, don't seem to apply anymore, but the new rules are not quite, we don't know them yet. <laughs> so it's exciting and kind of terrifying and feels very relevant to now. Like we've just, 
it's this brave new new world what what on earth are we to do with ourselves so that's um i'm happy to talk more about some of the specific texts we're looking at or um yeah whatever what other questions yeah. people have well that's such, just such a fantastic overview thank you so much um professor daly um and we've got one comment saying um that they love your voice and th th they they think that you know they're, they're like why haven't i chosen this class because you've just got such a great voice <laughs> i i i know you could be on the radio you have fantastic voice so i'm sure the lectures are fantastic to uh, to hear and of course you've got um professor acker's uh uh, dulcet tones as well um so that's uh, another good thing um can you tell us um Mr. Daly a bit more about the genesis of this course because it was fascinating hearing you talk about what you cover there's so much in here it touches on so many points but what actually inspired you to take this approach in the first place was this kind of signum saying well we've got to have a Shakespeare course but because we're inventive let's take a different approach and do something that is more interesting than just another Shakespeare course and then you went down the middle ages or, or was it a sort of different route that you took to end up with this topic yes uh that's a great question and and uh Faith please feel free to chime in I'd be very curious to know if your recollection of this is the same as mine uh Professor Olson um approached uh Professor Acker and myself and say we would like you to do a Shakespeare course for Signum and you both know a lot about Shakespeare um you know Professor Acker you just published your book um or, or were about to have published it at that point um it's published now anyway um he's, he's, so you you both know about this come up with something like what do you what do you want to teach you know and we I think we very quickly decided we don't want to just do we're, this is not going to be a Shakespeare survey although in a way it is because we are doing the three major food groups of comedy tragedy and history um but we don't we you know we don't want to do just a regular old Shakespeare survey what what can we do that would be interesting to us that reflects our specialized knowledge within this specialization and also would be of interest to Signum students so we kicked around a lot of ideas um we, we I think we maybe Shakespeare in the classical world was one of them um not coincidentally when I was starting this when we were coming up with this I was just beginning um <laughs> a PhD in medieval and renaissance literature and I've now just finished my PhD um specifically on plays from the renaissance that talk about the middle ages so I think that it was probably not and I was like, but I, what am I really interested in? Yes, that it turns out it was this. So I've been thinking about this a lot for the past five years. It's been very much on my brain. Um, but I, Faith, does that square with your recollections of how we came up with this topic? My memory is that we drafted four course proposals, uh, or at least the, the general concept for four different courses. And then we thought about which one we thought would be best for signum and i remember we both wanted to do a course that was just king lear and then we thought that's really specific <laughs> maybe we should pick one of the more general ones uh so when you get to king uh king lear week that was probably the week that we had the most fun with <laughs> as we were developing it but yes it, it developed a lot like that yeah it was it was really fun and i think developing a course collaboratively allowed us to put a lot of our own interests in, but also to bounce back and find connections that we maybe individually wouldn't have seen. I had forgotten that one of our pitches was just on King Lear. I think we probably made the right decision not to do all 12. We easily could have filled those 12 weeks. Um, and the most fun, funny that the, uh, the most tragic play is the one that we had the most fun talking about. But, but that, that would make a great space module. King Lear. Yeah. So look out for that. Um, but I'm um, just looking down this reading list. I can see so many links, like so many things that are so useful to other things as well. Um, I mean, Tolkien was very influenced by Shakespeare. Um, you've got, you know, you do um, Machiavelli's The Prince. You've got the concept of the king's two bodies. Um, you've got a bit of Chaucer in there. So it's, it's, it looks like another one of those really useful courses, even though it sounds quite niche 
it's actually going to, if you take this course, you'll make lots of connections with other courses and it will be good grounding for a lot of stuff we do at Signum. Um, so yeah, you've, you've done well to, you know, to, 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 to design this for a Signum audience. Um, what, what are you most looking forward to um, in your teaching of this, uh, Liam, uh, this term? Uh, I think I'm probably most excited to uh, look back at some of the Shakespeare history plays. Um, mm -hmm. I think it is underappreciated that Shakespeare wrote a continuous eight play cycle, like an, a story that took eight plays to tell. I feel like that's an underappreciated um, in most, you know, undergraduate Shakespeare um, courses that it's like, it's like the extended Marvel universe. So we're going to be reading um, three and a half, Play, well, basically the first half of that eight play cycle, we'll be reading uh, two, three out of the four plays and then glancing a little bit at the uh, at, at one of the three, because we don't have time to do all four, but you probably don't really need to do all four to get that story arc. And speaking of history, I have to ask you as a fellow Arthurian scholar, um, I, I get asked this question sometimes and I'm never able to give a brilliant answer because I'm not a Shakespeare scholar. Um, why didn't Shakespeare write about King Arthur, do you think? That's that's a fantastic question. Why didn't Shakespeare? I mean, we don't we wish he did, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, we wish that Shakespeare wrote about King Arthur. We wish that Milton wrote about King Arthur and still have, you know, famously, that was his first idea for Paradise mm -hmm. Lost. And then he decided to go with the Genesis story instead of the Arthur story. I I honestly, there's only one play in all of Elizabethan England that is about King Arthur. And, you know, Thomas Mallory was really popular in print in the late Tudor period, yeah. his Mort Arthur, and he is not popular on stage. Well, he, he hasn't survived on stage because the well, speculation is that we, I think we actually do have titles of Arthurian again this isn't my area but um my understanding is that there may be some lost King Arthur plays from that from the Elizabethan stage you're absolutely right we have one surviving play that is about yeah, which King is Arthur. which and is course... is that the birth of Merlin um all right so we've got two surviving <laughs> plays, like the Spanish Inquisition we've got the misfortunes <laughs> of Arthur in the oh, yeah, Misfortunes. And we've of got yeah, um yeah. the birth of Merlin although Arthur's not yeah. in that but of course it's Arthurian yeah it's yeah yeah Merlin. and that was that um, was thought to be Shakespeare for a while but again it's kind of wishful thinking isn't it oh right um, any play that yeah. you like you kind of wish was exactly exactly he might have had something power. to do with it but who knows uh, but Shakespeare's one of those you know he's almost like a legendary figure he looms so large especially in the UK but but also I think in America you know it's sort of he is the great writer but it's partly because we've sort of decided that greatness is Shakespearean I mean he is very good but there's kind of like fascinating things thinking about Shakespeare as a as a lens as well um and as an idea and that's certainly something it looks like you engage with in this course mm -hmm. so that sounds absolutely fascinating i again i could happily just talk all day um <laughs> about each individual course but we should move on um and oh nelson there's a fun in our time episode on that uh i believe i, I didn't know that i'll have to check that out in our time is a fantastic podcast resource it's a bbc radio 4 um radio show that has some really really good episodes on various academic subjects. So do check that out if you haven't done so already. Um, but now, speaking of Professor Goering, let's move on to intro to Germanic philology one. Um, this looks like such a, a fun, interesting, useful course. What can you tell us about it, Nelson? Well, uh, I guess I should maybe start with the title. So we've got Germanic and we've got philology. Uh, so philology, uh, to start with that first, uh, my favorite definition of philology is uh, Roman Jakobsen's called it the art of reading slowly, uh, which is a great definition, but maybe not super practical. The uh, way we'll be doing it in this class is basically uh, we're going to view it as the approach of language and culture through texts. Uh, so the language is really going to be the backbone and the common thread uh, through, through this class the language and the, the texts that are written in these languages. And then we'll use that to kind of explore historical contexts and cultures and literatures uh, that, are, that are reflected in these texts as well. Uh, so which languages, which, which texts, that's where the Germanic comes in. Uh, so the, the Germanic language family is what we're, we're speaking a representative of right now. English is a Germanic language. They're, they're all languages that kind of come from this 
uh, uh, Proto-Germanic in the same way that Romance languages come from Latin. So a group of closely related languages, uh, things like uh, Old English and Old Norse and old, old, old forms of German, old forms of Dutch. Uh, those are all kinds of things we'll, we'll, we'll be dealing with. And we're going to be looking at this class basically at the, the earlier stages of these languages. Uh, I think we don't stray too much past probably the year 1300 or so. Maybe we might creep a little bit past that occasionally, but mostly we're, we're kind of before that period. And a lot of the stuff we're going to be sort of before the year 1000. Uh, so it's sort of on the earlier end of these things when these languages are really quite close to one another and much more, uh, much more obviously, obviously related in a lot of ways. Uh, I do want to emphasize that there are no prerequisites. You don't have to know any of the old Germanic languages to take this class. We're assuming that you that you can deal with you know English like any class, but that's it. Well, yeah, you know, everything else here we will introduce and present to you uh, as with all the tools that you need to, to approach these things. Uh, if you've taken a, a you know old, our old English class or old English somewhere else or Gothic or something, like that, that's great too. You're perfectly welcome. You'll, there's a lot in here, even if you have that background, but you don't need it. Uh, to, to do this class. Fantastic. Uh, so Bates, mm -hmm. go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, I was going to say it's basically a survey class in a lot of ways. Mm. So we're going to kind of do a survey of uh, a lot of different languages, find out what makes them linguistically distinctive, find out what their historical and cultural contexts are, and then do little little tasters of the the literatures and the texts. So we'll we'll take a lot of a look at a lot of little tiny short texts with a lot of help. You know, in the original languages, a lot of glosses, a lot of notes, things so we can actually get little, little tasters of these of these various languages uh, in their original form uh, or as close to the original as we can, we can get these days. Uh, so you can see the whole range of everything from, from uh, Beowulf to the Poetic Edda to uh, the um, wonderful Gothic Bible translations, which may not sound wonderful as literature, but I have a Tolkien quote I want to say real quick. Uh, where he, he said of these that I discovered in it, not in Gothic, he's talking about not only modern historical philology, which appealed to the historical and scientific side, but for the first time, the study of a language out of mere love. I mean, for the acute aesthetic pleasure derived from a language for its own sake, not only free from being useful, but free even from being the vehicle of literature. So if that kind of thing intrigues you and makes you excited, we'd, we'd love to have you come and, and join the, the, the philology class. And I, I don't think there's any better feeling than um, having a text written in another language and spending time on it and being, you know, being able to read a little, even just a little bit of it in that language. And it's just, it's like nothing. It's so much better than a translation. You realize just how much better it is. It's much slower, but so much more rewarding. The art of reading so, slowly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We take exactly. that, we do take that. So it's a, it's a kind of a tongue in cheek translation, but we also do take it serious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Um, and uh, this is taught with two one hour lectures every week, which, which are pre recorded so you can um, uh, access the archive, and two one hour weekly discussion sessions. Um, which is the way that language courses are taught. Um, so you do have lots of assistance. You're not just sort of left to do it on your own, um, which would be very, very challenging indeed. Um, what are you most looking forward to in this course, Nelson? Uh, are there any weeks that stand out to you in particular? Uh, any weeks that stand out? I mean, actually, what really, uh, what I always really like about you, we've, we've done this course a couple of times, what I always really like about it is, um, because we're doing, you know, a little bit of Gothic, and I mean, I mean, the old Germanic language Gothic, not <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the Gothic that we were talking about earlier. Um, uh, very different things. We have a lot of, a lot of terms, on, a lot of things under that term. Um, uh, you know, a little bit of Old Norse, a little bit of Old English, a little bit of Old High German. Uh, I really like watching the students make their own connections and, and bring together things that I hadn't seen or I hadn't mm -hmm. thought about. Uh, and I, I, I'm just, I'm looking forward to doing it again and seeing what, what the new students uh, will, will what, what connections they can make, uh, what I can learn from them. Uh, it's always a learning experience goes, always goes both ways. Yeah, I, I absolutely know what you mean. That's what I always look forward to when I teach a course at Signum as well. Um, and uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if someone wrote a Gothic novel in Gothic? Um, don't know if it's ever been done before. Maybe if, if anyone can do it, it's a Signum University student. So there's there's is... Alice in Wonderland. Someone has translated that into Gothic. I don't know if that oh. counts as Gothic in the original. I think I'd be stretching it, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, Dr. Sturgis, what do you think? Can Alice in Wonderland be Gothic to put you on the spot? Well, Lewis Carroll is quoted in Hangs a Man by Shirley Jackson. So it's in 
a work of dark academia, which is Gothic. So I think I think there's actually you could make a really interesting flow chart here that could justify a whole lot of things. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and and teacher at Christchurch in Oxford, so you know lots of dark academia links there. Perfect. Um, brilliant. I, I had no idea that you could read uh, someone's land in, in Gothic. That's fantastic. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm always curious about the kind of the genesis of these courses. Was this sort of designed to be a fun, fun but useful and challenging course for first timers? Is this a good entry point into languages at Signum University, um, or or was it sort of designed for a different purpose than that? No, no, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. It's kind of the the introductory entry level to survey of Germanic philology. Way it gives you sort of a broad picture of everything that's in there, uh, you know, all the older Germanic languages we will be, we'll, we'll be dealing with at least a little bit, including some, 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 you know, we'll do a little bit of Middle English, a little bit of Middle High German, a little bit of Middle Dutch even. Uh, so we're going to really try and get that, that broad foundation down uh, and also talk about what the concepts are, you know, what, what, what Germanic languages are, how, how language reconstruction works, and those, the very foundational concepts that are really useful to apply to any of the other uh, philology classes uh, as well. And then it's also actually, I should say, it's the it's philology one. Uh, there will then be a second uh, part to this, dramatic philology two in the spring, uh, where it follows on from this, and that kind of explores more focused issues. This is a survey of the languages. That one will be kind of an exploration, particular issues of interest uh, in a little bit more, more depth. Uh, and then between those two, you should have a really solid foundation in Germanic philology. So any other, any specific, you know, uh, Germanic language then you then go on to deal with or think back to anyone that you've done uh, should then be sort of hopefully, at least that's the idea, enriched and illuminated by by this broader context. That you've so you're you're encouraging students to take both classes if they can, but they don't absolutely have to take the yeah. second part. But you don't. You, you're, you're. Yeah. You sign up for them independently. They're they're, okay. they're they're independent classes, but they were conceived of at the same time, uh, and they were planned to be sort of two parts of a, of a, of a coherent whole. So, uh, you know, do what you want, right? But uh, uh, I think uh, I think I think if you do take them together, uh, that would they 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 they're meant to build one into the other. Uh, so you would get uh, a lot out of it. Um, but uh, uh, there's, there's there's also they're also meant to stand alone and be. Again, this one is the survey class, so it's kind of a complete survey in its, mm -hmm. in its own right. So you can, you can just take that and then do that. And a really useful foundation for later language courses offered, you know, in, in future terms. I right? see we've got Old yeah. Norse uh, coming up in, in the summer and, you know, you've taught Gothic before and, and other Germanic languages, they, you know, come up pretty much every every term. And one thing, one thing I'd really say is that if you're interested in any one of these things, if you're interested in Beowulf, if you're interested in Norse sagas or, or, or anything like that, uh, or, or middle, even middle high German romance, uh, like the Nibelungenlied or something like that, if you're interested in any one of those things, having at least a basic foundation in Germanic philology as a whole will enrich and illuminate each one of those traditions in its own right. So um, if, if I, I, I would recommend it on that basis if you've got if you've got that sort of prior uh, prior interest in things already. Mm -hmm. um, and then a question just just to check whether the the second the one that's offered next term, if you take that course, do you have to have taken one this term? Uh, Ideally, well, that's a good question. I don't remember. <laughs> I think it's uh, on the website, I don't think it says that it, it is, but I suppose ideally you would I, have done. I, I think I think we I think there can see I, I, I think in practical terms you could you, you could take two without necessarily having one uh, as long as you you know made sure you had the, the necessary okay. you know, background in each other. I, I think it's one of those things that you would want to email the email me or Paul or yeah. Paul Peterson uh, or 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 Excellent. Uh, okay. Anyone else involved, just to, to, to be sure. But well, that's um, good. Uh, it's worth taking in in, in mind uh, when looking at the choices there. Um, but uh, yeah, Germanic philology double bill sounds like the way to go for me. Um, thank you so much for telling us all about that. Uh, it sounds like such a fun, a useful, and interesting course. Um, so let's move on to our final course, Beowulf through Tolkien. Another exciting course to talk about. Um, Professor Swain, what can you tell us about this course? 
that straight off, it frightens me and excites me in equal measures, often alternating with each other, depending on the minute that you're that you're asking me. <laughs> so this course uh, is is a wonderful course, I think, uh, but it is not an introduction to Beowulf, and it is not an introduction to Tolkien. Um, it is taking Tolkien's translation and commentary that were thankfully uh, released eight eight years ago now already. Mm. Oh my God, I'm getting old. Yeah. Uh, eight years ago already, uh, and and reading through that translation, noticing his translation strategies, right? Some of the words that he uses, for example, he uses the word "night" uh, to to translate well. That's a pretty deliberate choice on his part, and there was some criticism at the time that the book came out. But there's reasons why Tolkien is choosing that word uh, and, and, and what it means and connotations and those kinds of things. There's an extensive commentary. Uh, and as in most things with Tolkien, uh, even when he's writing commentaries, he doesn't finish it <laughs> because he gets so bugged down uh, in the details, right, that he never actually finishes it in the class. Uh, so we're going to be reading that. We're going to be reading his commentary. We'll read uh, Christopher Tolkien's commentary on, well, my father's notes say this or they, you know, trade that. There's some really good gems in there uh, about how Tolkien changed his mind on things uh, along the way. Uh, recorded lectures are mostly by Tom Shippey, who is a wonderful uh, and well-known Tolkien scholar, and there are some by our own Dr. Goring uh, in that uh, series as well. So it's it's really a really great class. The, the biggest problem is there's so much wonderful stuff to talk about that how do you fit that in a one-hour preceptor session? I So we'll do what we can <laughs> and, and uh, hope for the best. And in a way, it's a luxury, if that's the right word, to to be able to spend twelve weeks on one text, essentially, uh, yes. compared to oh, other courses where we're moving around I'm, so much. I'm with Takako in the chat. We should take something Beowulf related every semester. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the it's the it's a great book to take on a desert island. You never get sick of it. Um, so okay, so just looking down the schedule, um, okay, maybe maybe a dumb question for me, but. When you're saying, you know, we're reading lines in the Tolkien book, are we also reading the Old English? Yeah, no, it's all entirely a translation, except those okay. parts where I will translate, right? So no, okay. no Old English so is it's necessary. A, it's a really close reading, essentially. Right. Yeah, and there there is a lot to say about each each line. Um, or about things like dragons. <laughs> yeah, dragons. Uh, tell me more. Well, of course, what can you, say about uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, the Beowulf dragon is one of the three big dragons in, in medieval literature, right? You mm -hmm. would expect that there'd be a whole lot more dragons, but but there aren't, right? So Beowulf and Fafnir in the Volsunga saga, and now the third one is going to escape me because you asked, <laughs> <laughs> right? So we want to spend some time talking about that guy when we in encounter that uh, portion of the poem. Yeah, uh, later in the semester, right? Because it's it's a fairly important uh, uh, story. Yeah, and and I agree, there should be more dragons in literature. It's surprising that there there aren't. Uh, I remember in the classical myths and legends course, you talk about dragons in that as well. I so do, just, yes. my ears always prick up when I hear the word dragon. Um, okay, another another kind of broad question: What like generally is did Tolkien do a good job? With this translation is this a good like if it, if Tolkien hadn't done anything else and obviously he did um would we say hey you should read Tolkien's translation of Beowulf because it's a good translation of Beowulf or is that kind of a difficult thing to assess well uh, uh I'd like Nelson to answer that question no <laughs> uh in my view I think that yes it is a very good translation and especially for the time right I mean yes it came out in 2014 but Tolkien did it back in the 30s Right. So for thinking about Beowulf in, in English in the 30s, it's an outstanding translation in those contexts. But we have a wealth of, of riches right uh, in, in the in-between time. But still, I think it's a it's a translation worth uh, reading. The one thing I wish that we had was a, a poetic translation by Tolkien. Right. Mm -hmm. This translation is in prose modern English prose. And I, and I do wish that we had uh, had his treatment in, in poetry, but we don't. So at least at the moment, 
there might be something in those papers in Oxford uh, or Marquette uh, that somebody can edit at some point, but but right now it's prose. And I suppose Fall of Arthur is kind of closest, getting getting close to that, he says, not really knowing what he's talking about, but isn't Fall of Arthur kind of in a similar sort of style to, to Beowulf? It's the, the alliterative? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, the alliterative poetry. Yeah. Which, of course, in modern English is hard, <laughs> mm, mm, much harder definitely. than in old English to do alliterative poetry. But yes, fantastic. Um, it, it, Professor Goering, um, what are your thoughts on this as a translation? Uh, well, it's uh, one of those. I mean, it's a very uh, Tolkien was trying to do very specific things, which with the translation, I mean, he wanted to, he wanted to give it what he sort of I think considered kind of a a dignity, uh, which you know he so he has this sort of syntax that's maybe not always completely plain and straightforward uh, and he uses these word choices not just night right there's, a, there's some very interesting a lot of very interesting word choices but it's, it's, it's definitely a striking one uh, mm -hmm. and things like that. that that he's going for a very particular effect that i think you know it's sort of this rich and dense and uh intricate it's not poetry it isn't a poetic translation but it is it is also not it's a prose translation, but it's not a prosaic translation. Right. Uh, it makes it harder to read, I think. You know, uh, uh, it's not, it's, it's a little bit, you know, he's challenging you a little bit. But it's a, it's a, but that's also, I think, the way the poem is. You know, it's a work of art. It's meant to be, it's meant to be this yeah, intricate kind of, kind of thing. And so I think he's, I, I think you can make criticisms of him, but I think you can also, I think you also say that, that given the sort of terms he set for himself, I think he's fairly successful, pretty successful. Well, that sounds fantastic and, and really useful. Another really useful and interesting and um, fun and fascinating course. Uh, so thank you so much um, for telling us all about it. Uh, we've come to the end of our time. Uh, we're about uh, an hour into this um, preview, and it is only a preview. Uh, the courses themselves begin next week. And if you want to find out more about any of these topics, you have to take the course. Um, but you can do so as an auditor or as a, as a credit student through the MA or the diploma, um, do look into that on our website and you too can learn about all these exciting things. Um, before we wrap up, I mean, we do like to traditionally ask each person if you had, if, if you could only take one course, which one would you take? Which is always an impossible question, but it's always fascinating to know um, what people would take if they were a student themselves. So let's just quickly go around. Faith, um, if you had, could only take one course which would we be um actually if i could only take one of these courses i would take the introduction to germanic philology because i feel that that is my area of weakness as a scholar i haven't had a lot of philology and it's an area that i'd love to know more about excellent very very good um amy what about you Oh, you you've un, you've you unmuted yourself and then muted it. There you go. I would take the foundations course actually because that way I could sample a variety of uh, different topics and also a variety of different uh, lecturers and instructors. And I think that's uh, a wonderful sampling there uh, to be able to get uh, a whole lot in one semester. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, um, Nelson. How about you? <laughs> And there's a lot of very tempting ones. Um, I'd probably have to say I, I, I'd go with the dark academia, um, particularly the, the thought of being able to hear from like uh, RF Kuang and people like that, you know, right, right is, you know, very current things that are coming out right now from these excellent authors. Um, uh, I just, I think that'd be pretty amazing. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Liam. I think I would also probably have to go with Professor Sturgis's Dark Academia course. Um, not very often that you get a whole genre named after the uh, field in which you work. Um, but I would also just like to say, it sounds kind of funny, like having just completed a PhD, that I would want to take Professor, Professor Acker's Foundations class. Absolutely. This is genuine. I don't think you guys know how much, like, and they said it couldn't be done, right? to get all these things and have them be about fun texts that people actually want to talk about. Like, wow, like, well done. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and Larry, what about you? Um, 
Well, I've taken foundation, uh, a foundations course back in the day, and I teach Shakespeare in the Middle Ages in another university, uh, and and kind of Germanic philology uh, is kind of what I do, not as much as Dr. Gehring, but it's kind of what I do. So that leaves me with dark academia. So that's where I would go. Fantastic. Um, I have no idea what I would pick. Um, Faith, were you putting your hand up to say something? I wanted to, to answer a comment that's in the chat box, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and that has to do with discussion auditors. I'll give you a moment or two to, to debate your answer a little more, Gabriel. Um, <laughs> and that is that a discussion auditor will have access to every lecture. If it's a recorded class, you'll get access to those lectures from the first day. If it's uh, my new course or Professor Sturgis's, you'll have access to You can come to the live lectures and you can type um, questions to us if you're able to attend the lectures or you can watch them later and email us with questions um, after the fact. If you're a premier auditor, uh, which I think you can be for both my course and Professor Sturgis's, then you have access to the live lectures and to the live lectures after they are presented so you can watch them live and interact with us during the lecture or you can watch them later and again you would have the ability to email us sort of uh, quickly and I happen to know from having precepted some of Professor Sturgis's courses that she's great about taking questions from one lecture and answering them at the start of the next lecture so if you couldn't make her lecture times you could email her if you had watched the lecture and she would probably address your question in the next class I'll try to do that as much as I can as well So there's Premier Auditor, where you can watch the live lectures. There's Discussion Auditor, where you can still watch the live lectures or engage with the recorded lectures, but you also get to come to the discussion sections, and that's for any of our five courses. So you would get to come to one or two hours of live discussion each week. If you happen to be a discussion auditor in my class, as well as taking another course, you'd be welcome to try to use my class techniques towards your classwork for the other class. Um, Otherwise, you'd be using them to complete the coursework for my class exclusively if you were a for credit student. Um, But you'll get a lot of interaction and also access to a course discussion board, um, extra readings that are posted on our Google Classrooms um, and any other materials, all of the discussion auditors and the premier auditors. Uh, So the difference is if you're a discussion auditor, you get to have the discussions. And if you're a premier or a regular auditor, you have just the um the course the course materials and the lectures hope that makes sense yeah very very well explained and full of question even if if i sign up via anytime auditor for beowulf through talking um because it is a flex course i could still access the discussions I the discussion board but not the discussion sessions like not I... the Mm, yes, I think right? all the yeah. anytime auditors get shuffled into one Google Classroom. Yeah. So you wouldn't see because because each semester that a course resets. So the students who are taking the Shakespeare course this semester won't be able to see the discussions that the students uh, had taking yes. Shakespeare six years ago or however six. I think it was six years, wasn't it? It's been yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe five years. Uh, so if you're if you're if you're taking a new course, you'll get a fresh discussion board. So I think all the anytime auditors have a discussion board, but it won't be yep. populated with other things, and it's sort of time dependent. You might be the only anytime auditor, so you might not have anybody to talk to. You might just be typing into the void, which is a little yeah. sad. But yeah, so the anytime auditor is you get access to all the lectures, and you sort of you teach yourself basically uh, with with the pre recorded lectures. So it can be a great option. It's a particularly great option if you want to take a course that hasn't isn't offered again. Um, so um, you know, do 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 bear that in mind. But it's really the discussion auditor option you want if you want to join in the discussion, um, and the credit options if you want to do the assignments. Um, so. Um, Okay, so Nelson, you say the Shakespeare course would be a close second for you. You love Shakespeare and medieval stuff, and it would be immense fun to spend a term exploring the overlap of that particular Venn diagram. I completely agree. And then I have to give my response very quickly. Uh, I'm going to say foundations just because I love the Odyssey and I love the variety in that. But oh my gosh, I'm so torn. I could take all of these. Um, if only I had a time turner like Hermione Granger, uh, that would be ideal. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for everyone um, attending in the audience. Thank you so much for all the questions. Thank you so much to our brilliant panel of amazing teachers for all your responses and answers. I'm so excited about the upcoming term. Uh, Do sign up 
for a course if you haven't done so already and we will see you around uh thank you so much everyone keep reading be happy and good luck bye bye <laughs>